0: you. <laughs> Bernie, uh, and I will be sharing with you tonight, and it is, it is an honor and a privilege to be back with you guys again. Um, who's been enjoying the series so far, the, the Right setup series? It's been great, hasn't it? Uh, Rob kicking it wide open, and then Wendy smashing it last week. Um, I don't know if you recall, but last time I was with you, I shared about how the passages I was going through was like a burger, and there was like a spicy patty in there. You remember, some of you might remember that. Some of you are like, I just triggered burger fuel cravings. Yep. It's Okay. Well, I was just thinking earlier, before in the middle of worship, um, I don't know, maybe I was hungry, maybe I'm thinking about the health stuff I'm doing right now, but I was thinking that the Right setup series is like porridge. (laughs) It's full of good stuff. Everything in it is the stuff you're supposed to be taking and doing on a regular basis. It's gonna sort you out, but we don't really like eating porridge, do we? No, and that's how I imagine the Right setup Up series. It's all this really good stuff. It's gonna be so good for you, but it's that type of stuff you kinda like, today, I'm gonna have bacon and hash browns for breakfast rather than have porridge. Anyway, that's my thoughts. Don't know if they're very accurate, but that's what I think. But um, tonight's passages, um, I think uh, I've called tonight turning cheeks and loving enemies. So you you can kind of already see where we're going uh, with the evening. Uh, but the passages I've got for us to work through tonight, I think if we could actually apply what is said in these, in these passages, we'd, we'd change the world within our own lifetime. We'd see a revolutionary change uh, in society, in culture, uh, not only here in Tauranga, but around the world. And so uh, with that in mind, let's pray. Jesus, I thank you for this place. I thank you for the incredible time we've just had with the worship team. I thank you that you've opened us up for you to speak to us tonight and that you already have been speaking to us tonight. Lord, we bring ourselves and ask just for you to move tonight. Lord, I pray that you use my words, you've used what I use what I prepared here for your glory and for your change. We submit all this to you in your name. Amen. All right, so I, We'll start by reading through, that's not right. Logan will fix that. That's okay. I was going to say, we'll start by reading uh, through the scriptures. Uh, So we're we're turning to Matthew 5, uh, 38 to 48. If you've got your Bibles, feel free to open those up. Open up the app if you've got that. Otherwise, uh, you can read with the screen on me. Uh, You have heard that it was said, eye for an eye and tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them and offer the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. You've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Nice, easy, take it on. Wicked. Sweet. Um, I, for me, I read this and I don't know about you, but I'm reminded about the golden rule. You know, the rule that every primary class leads the entire class in: treat other people with respect, be nice to other people, treat them how you would want to be treated. And for for me, I, these passages seem to be just a variation of that. And so my approach to these is almost as simply as it is like that. Treat others with love and respect. Uh, and do to others as you would do to you. So um, for me, it's, it's one of these things, the, the, the ideas brought up in these passages are ones that we can mostly all agree with. And we, when we've seen it happen in history, when we've seen uh, these verses and passages acted out, uh, we agree that this is an amazing thing. We see incredible things happen. Examples of this, uh, the Martin Luther King movement with the black civil rights, you know, peaceful protest, they were had, um, anger and violence thrown towards them. They responded in peace and kindness. You see that through the actions of Mahatma Gandhi and in his protest. So all of us, we can, we can agree that we know it's, it's powerful and good. And thinking of these stories of what's gone before us and you know, it's easy to think overseas a lot of the time. Sometimes we forget about how this has played out here in our own country. And over the last couple of days, my wife, Vika, has been doing an assignment for uh, BTI, uh, looking at the Treaty of Waitangi. And part of that, um, she's been studying the land wars. And uh, the last couple of days, she's been looking at specifically at Toronga, at our, at our home, at our area. And she was telling me the story, and I, this t- the story, and I think this story lines up with where we're going to go tonight. And it's about a young guy. I say young guy, but I think he's about 30-ish at the time. His name was Hinare. Uh, So he was baptized and saved by Henry Williams, the famous missionary who came to New Zealand and and just opened everything up here. And uh, he for a long period of his life was journeying around the country with Bishop Salwyn. So going around the land, uh, you know, sharing the gospel, teaching all these incredible things. He was going around and hearing the words that we've been talking about tonight already by the bishop. And eventually he, he settled back in Tauranga, uh, started teaching arithmetic and, uh, and, and sharing you know, the gospel and stuff like that. And it was during this time that he had settled back here in Tauranga that the land wars arrived in our area. For a long time, uh, the relationship between Maori and missionary was really healthy and really good and there was a great thing going on. Uh, but during the conflicts associated with the land wars, British forces started moving in and taking over. And this is the same thing that occurred here in Tauranga. Uh, What happened, which is probably a point of difference to a lot of the other incidents, is that the chiefs gathered together and they wrote up a code of conduct conduct, about how they would treat the enemy forces, uh, how they would treat them if they found wounded people on the battlefield, what would they do to prisoners, and the fact that they wouldn't attack or uh, cause any harm to any woman or children. So they wrote up this code of conduct. And Henare Taratoa was the guy who wrote it up. And he wrote it up and he sent it off uh, to uh, Lieutenant Colonel H.H. H. Greer. Uh, those who live in Gretton may be familiar with, with that guy. Um, so he wrote up and he sent this code of conduct to them and to the other tribes um, and saying, this is what we're going to do. Hopefully you'll do the same thing when it comes to, to wartime. Now, Hinare, he just didn't just write and deliver this code of conduct. He lived it. There's this account um, at the Battle of Gate Par where he was almost shot, trying to bring a canteen of water to a wounded British soldier. So he he risked his life to bring water to a wounded British soldier. Uh, He he was living out the code of conduct that he'd helped uh, write up. Unfortunately, uh, in a later battle, he was was killed. And when they discovered his body, they found uh, written uh, the code of conduct in in one of his pockets, but also a prayer that he would recite to himself. And the prayer ended with the words, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him drink, which is uh, from Romans twelve, twenty. 20. Uh, so this is, he lived what he had heard from the bishop and lived that code of conduct out in the middle of war. His legacy is quite special actually because that code of conduct that he, he wrote, remember this is eighteen hundreds. This is before the great wars. That code of conduct he wrote went on to a place called the Geneva Convention and was actually adopted in to the global documentation of how people should handle each other uh, when, during war times. So the stuff that he had helped develop was shared in for the World War I and World War II, uh, an ongoing legacy. And, and I guess for some of us, we hear those actions, those things that he did, and it's like, well, that's, that should be standard practice now in wartime. He was. They were the first times that had ever happened, and because of them doing that, because of those chiefs coming together and doing that here in the Bay of Plenty, war, which is horrific, is made slightly better by the way that people treat the prisoners. Before I go too far into tonight, and because we already acknowledge that we know these verses and the application of them are powerful and good, I want to refer to, to Craig from this morning. And if if you want like a part two to this message you're going to hear tonight, I would encourage you to listen to Craig's message from this morning. Uh, so Craig was talking about uh, the when Jesus was washing the disciples' feet. Powerful, powerful talk. Uh, I encourage you to go and listen to that um, as well when it comes out later this week, because I feel like this and th- this pa- these passages and then that story example work really well together, um, which you'll hopefully see later on. Um, So we agree that it is good, but what are our stumbling blocks? What stops us from, from doing this, from loving our enemies, from turning the cheek, from acting like Hinare? Why is it that Christians and Christianity are viewed hypocritically and not for the fact that they love people? I mean, uh, you know, that famous quote that was, supposedly by Gandhi, but as I was doing my research, people say it was, people say it wasn't. It's that quote that goes, I love your Christ, but I do not like your Christians. Your Christians are so unlike your Christ. And regardless of who said that or who didn't say that, it is a common perspective in our world today. And many of us would have experienced that on a regular thing. People are like, oh, you Christians, you're hypocritical. You don't know what you're talking about. You talk about this teacher, but you don't do anything that he says. Um, it's how we're viewed. It's how we're known. So, what do we do? How do we tackle this? I, and I think the, the passages and the ideas held within the hold the key for us to change our reputation. So, I want to tackle this probably in reverse order, looking at the second lot of passages first, because I think it's important for us to know our enemies before we know how to react to them. So, looking at loving our enemies. A common question probably these days is who is my enemy? I mean, the landscape has changed from when Jesus was delivering these words. Jesus was delivering the words in a time of Roman occupation, where if you didn't do what a Roman centurion said, you could be hung and courted. You'd you'd have to do the things that he actually brought up. in in that passage, going the extra mile, carrying the soldier's gear, um, giving him your cloak because his one was bloody from slaughtering innocent people. You know, it looks like all these things were going on. And for many of us, I don't know, maybe you have a wild lifestyle that I'm not aware of. We probably wouldn't be encountering this on the day to day. For us, I believe our our enemies and the way enemies grow in in our world around us is more insidious. And I think it stems from a a culture of self-centered secularism where it's all about me and it's all about what I want. And so unknowingly, a lot of the time, we either become enemies to other people or we create enemies out of other people because we're so wrapped up in these ideas and these values that they become part of who we are. They become part of our identity. And so if anybody critiques them, it's like they're doing a knife shot straight to the heart. I think we live in a culture where everybody is screaming at each other and not listening. Everybody's fighting to be heard, but not hearing what is being said. And so I think this culture, this this environment, which is different, but also the same at the same time. I think these aspects and these elements create enemies when we don't expect them and enables our greatest enemy to get in there and really rip things apart. And what if our enemy is me? What if I am my own enemy? I think we encounter that more so as well these days, when we get in the way of our own self. (laughs) Um, uh, Recently, I just came back from Chicago and I was over there for the Global Leadership Summit, uh, which I'm really excited about and I'll try not to refer to too many times tonight, but you know when you go away and you experience something and you come back and every single story seems to lead back to that, no matter how hard you try to make it about something else? I'm in a bit of that mode tonight, so I apologize in advance, but I was at the Global Leadership Summit and it was incredible. 7,500 people from around the world, 100,000 people in the United States all watching these speakers all at the same time. Incredible time. It's gonna go out to reach another 350,000 people around the world throughout the course of the next 12 months. Cool stuff. Uh, But one of the speakers this year is a guy called Chris Voss. Now Chris Voss is uh, the former lead FBI negotiator. He is a guy who has some incredible stories, but has been in some incredibly tricky situations. And he said the most important thing in in these scenarios, when he's gone and have to deal with terrorists or people who have taken hostages, is understanding your enemy. We have to know our enemy. He says uh, in his book that I've been reading, Tactical empathy is understanding the feelings and mindset of another and also hearing what is behind those feelings so you increase your influence in all the moments that follow. It's bringing our attention to both the emotional obstacles and the potential pathways to getting an agreement done. Most of us enter verbal combat unlikely to persuade anyone because we only know and care about our own goals and perspective. We have to know our enemies. He goes on to say that when you're able to understand the reason behind the action, it gives you a chance to peek behind the curtain of people and help deescalate different situations or deescalate the intensity of the situation. So now that we know who our enemies could be, and I'm gonna transition into this next part slightly slowly because some of you are realizing for the first time that maybe you're the enemy to somebody else or you've potentially created enemies around you because of that insidious self-focused secularism and because you're still sitting reeling from the fact that if I'm to help defeat my enemy, probably defeats not the right word, to understand my enemy is to know my enemy and to do that requires empathy and understanding. I want to transition to how now how we as Christians need to respond to this. How do we respond to our enemies? Which leads us to the eye for an eye. For me, I I find, and this is my perspective on this, but I I feel like it's not too far off probably for what most of us experience when evil strikes and or our enemies strike. And this is anything from the horrific thing we saw in in Christchurch earlier this year, to workplace misconduct, to a grievance between family or friends. It's the full spectrum. Because I think we we encounter the full spectrum at different points of our lives. How do we respond? How do we, as Christians, respond? And I think we respond in one of three ways. The first is that we react. We retaliate. The second, we forgive. And then the third, we do nothing. Let me just go over those again real quick. One, we retaliate. Two, we forgive. Or three, we do nothing. We do nothing at all. I think as we try and look into these, because we're called to one of those. We're called to respond with forgiveness and kindness and love. The other two, we're not really supposed to be doing so much. And there's no real excuse for doing either of those. Let me unpack that, that same in a little bit. I think when we find ourselves retaliating, it comes from a place where we have a lack of self-awareness. I call it self-awareness because that's a nice word, but what it really means is self-discipline and self-understanding, knowing who we are and what we're made of. Because it's, it's easy to say, it's unfair. Why should I do that? Why should I have to take, like, why should I have to forgive? Why should I have to be the one who takes the first step? That person deserves it. They deserve the worst. Those words speak of a person who doesn't understand who they are, who they are in Christ, who they are as an emotional being. And it speaks of a person who is insecure. Because if we are to believe the words of Christ when he says that I go with you and I am with you, and through me being in you, you have access to my father's power, then what do we have to worry about? Through the words of the songs we sang tonight, and in the word that Bailey shared, we are Clay vessels, yes, so we're fragile and we're temperamental, but when Christ is in us, He puts His preciousness inside of us. What do we have to be afraid of? What do we have to fight back for when we've already got the prize? And God promises that He's a God of justice, that He's a God of righteousness. He's a God who will make things new and make things perfect. Perfect. So if we can, if we rest in those promises, if we can rest in that, when, in, when the enemy strikes, there's no need to retaliate because we've got the one who's going to take care of everything with us. And ultimately, when we try and say that another person is the worst, that's simply not true because we're all the worst. And it's only through the love of Christ that we can actually be anything. Still the worst, but it's with Christ that we can be good In his perspective. It also takes self-discipline and self-awareness to be able to do what we were talking before, what Chris Voss was talking before about being able to peek behind the curtain and understand the actions behind the actions. If we never do, if we if we're not disciplined enough, we're never going to be able to see the motives behind the curtain and we're never going to want to do anything or we're only ever going to overreact because we don't understand the person. We can't see the human in the act. The other flip side of this, of course, is apathy, the doing nothing. I see the problem, but it's not my problem. But I think more common is the reaction, especially for us, I'm not good enough to do anything, or I am not enough to do anything, and I want to do a quick example of this. You guys with me? You tracking okay? Yeah, yeah? Okay, this is gonna be a little uncomfortable, but it's okay. The key is not to stare too long at the person, all right? What I want you to do is not obviously, just look around the room real quick, you know, you can do that now, and try and, try and find someone, any person. You may know them, you may have a long relationship with them, just try and find someone, anybody, doesn't matter who. All right, you found your person? Don't stare at them too much, they might get the wrong intention. Thanks Noah. What I want you to do is internally, and I can't stress this enough, and especially for the people at home, internally, give them a ranking out of a 10 on how, good, on how good you think they're doing at life. One out of 10, how good do you think they're doing at life? Don't tell them, that's really mean. Don't count with your fingers either, Noah, that's mean too. So find your person, give them a ranking out of 10 on how well you think they're doing at life. Cool? Now I want you to do the same thing for yourself. Give yourself a ranking out of 10 on how well you feel you're doing at life. Don't say it out loud again. But the reason I do this, and and potentially you've figured this out already, is I find it surprising but not surprising at the same time because I do this to myself. A lot of the time we'll rank ourselves lower than others even if we don't even know them. It's based off how they look, how they seem to be handling situations. We will rank other people higher than ourselves. And I think that that fuels this apathetic nature in us where we we don't feel like we're good enough to do anything. I mean, New Zealand's just got a small issue with the whole tall poppy thing. And if that's not on a a nationwide scale, I don't know what is. I'm not good enough to do anything. You are too good. I'm going to pull you down so you're not good like the rest of us. But the truth is, you are enough. You are enough. You are good enough. Stop waiting to be better. That train's never gonna arrive. Mainly because the rail networks in New Zealand are terrible. (laughs) Stop waiting. A quote I heard, again GLS Summit, uh, God has, this is from Craig Rochelle, pastor of Life.Church, uh, God has given you everything you need to do everything you're supposed to do. And when we hear that, we think like a really big picture, crazy big thing, like I'm supposed to go to Africa and save all the people. Yes, it applies there, but that's not what I, how I want to apply it tonight. I want to apply it in the small, in the, in the motivation to go speak to that one person that you know you need to speak to in that one person at school that you need to go have lunch with and show love to them, even though they're the the school bully or whatever. God has given you everything you need to do everything you're supposed to do because he is with you. He goes with you. So we have no excuse to be apathetic in our responses to the enemy. We have no excuse to retaliate either. So I'm going to start leading us towards the end of tonight. We still got a way to go, but I'm going to start leading us towards the end. Shine a light. How do we shine a light in our world? We've looked at it. We know our enemy. We know how to understand our enemy. We know how we should react to our enemy. But why three things I want to sit with you tonight. Our world needs us. I don't need to go into too much depth for you to be able to understand the fact that our world needs us to be love right now. Jesus calls us to this. This is what we read in the passages from the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus calls us to love our enemies, to turn the other cheek. And he goes with us. If you take nothing else from tonight, take that, that our world needs us. Jesus calls us to this, but he also goes with us in that. And in that, we're going to begin to shine a light in our world. Cool, huh? Some of you may be like me. That's great, but it's still here. How do I bring it down to me? Because I hear what you're saying, Bernie, I hear what you're saying, but you don't understand my situation that I'm in. And that is cool. That is the dream but how do I bring it down to my level? How do I bring it down? Rubber meets the road. How does, how do we get there? I'm not convinced. You need to sell me. How do we get there? And this might be just my take on that on this, but it's okay. I've already done a few things like that tonight, so it's okay. We're already there. I, but I find these verses incredibly important, important because I find the way Jesus emphasizes them and then actually lives them out in his final few days of existence on our earth, reinforce how important these verses are for us. These verses define the salvation narrative. God, in all his wonder and amazingness, creates us. We rebel, we spit in his face, we say, We're going to go do our own thing, we become an enemy of God. What does God do? He comes and he loves on us. He sends his one and only son to die in our place, to take the punishment for our rebellion so that we can once again be called friends with God. God has saved his enemy. God reached out and brought us back. It's time for Christians to no longer be defined by our hypocrisy, but how we show love during persecution, how we love on those who have forgotten what love looks like. It's time for us to stop making excuses. It's time for us to step into the uncomfortable because this stuff is uncomfortable. This loving our enemies stuff, because it's so counter to anything else that you're going to be told. It's uncomfortable, even in the small first step. But don't confuse this, This what we're sharing tonight, to be confused with timidity. Jesus was bold. He literally flipped the tables of injustice at the temples. We're not called to be pushovers. We're called to love the unlovable. And that takes Courage, but it shines bright against the dark. This is the upside down kingdom. It it counters the world around us. It's the polar opposite. And those forces are going to push and they're going to pull and they're going to rip out at each other. And it's not going to be an easy ride. People won't get it. And some will be strongly against it. Just look at what Jesus encountered. But like we read here in the scriptures, but also like we read in the words of Proverbs 25, if your enemy is hungry, give him food to eat. If he is thirsty, give him water to drink. In doing this, you'll heap burning coals on his head and the Lord will reward you. Start tonight. Start now. Who is your enemy? And what can you do? To love on them. Who has become your enemy without you realizing? What do you need to do to clear the air? Are there people you need to start listening to more? So that you understand why they are the way that they are. And most importantly, we can do this. Start small. Start with one. small. Step. To quote Craig from this morning in his in his message. We will know the church is doing good. When there are more people ready to wash feet than those who have dirty feet. Let me read that again. We will know the church is doing good when there are more people ready to wash feet than those who have dirty feet. Why don't you stand with me right now and the, the band will come. But what I want to do is a, as a kind of a closing charge is I'll read these scriptures over you as a commissioning that, you, that as we go from this place, we commit to living this out. So here we go. Let me read it. You have heard that it was said, eye for an eye and tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them too. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you Father is perfect.